Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Chris. And today on the show, we have Devin Belaskovich. Hey, Devin. Hi, Devin. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. good. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to chat. Do you mind giving our listeners a background on yourself and who you are and how you get into photography? Uh, yeah, sure. I had no artistic background growing up. I kind of like fell into photography when I was like 21 or so or 20. So I kind of was like late to the game. I know a lot of these photographers like, oh, I shot my parents' camera since <laughs> birth. And like, da, 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 da. Dude, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was uh, I was in college. I... I'm from California. I moved to New York for pre-medicine, so I could have been a doctor and I take stupid pictures instead. Um, <laughs> but I graduated early and I was touring as a performance artist and I kind of just like picked up photography like my last year of undergrad and then it just kind of like took over like everything. And then I bought like a Polaroid camera and this is in the Flickr days, actually. I First photos I uploaded to Flickr as a platform, I won one of the contests in Polaroid Week, actually. Wow. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this is, like, and it was, like, 2012, like, first-gen mm -hmm. Impossible Films, like, trash. It was, like, red-scaled photo, like, <laughs> yes. quintessential. It was, like, girl with a camera in front of, like, a lake or some shit. It was, like, very... Nice, um, nice cliche but it won the contest and uh ann bowerman who was community manager at the time was just like oh you actually go to school in new york come by the office and i like went by um they had a space in soho at the time and yeah. then she was like dude just give me a resume and then i just started working there like from the job wow. and That's i had amazing. like i wasn't like super into photography as much like uh, before i started working there like i liked it as a hobby i was like you know i was like doing college stuff i was like touring and i was a performance artist and i was also pre-medicine so i was like figuring out my future and it was photography was just something like more of a vernacular documentation of yeah. your life thing yeah. and then as soon as i got that job though like i wasn't super into art either just kind of like unlocked this like whole thing and there was like no turning back so i just kind of wow. never stopped <laughs> i love when that happens uh, yeah that was it yeah now i work in fashion and do <laughs> other stuff uh <laughs> I guess it's that's been like that's like six years ago, I guess now. Wow. So yeah, I just kind of I fell into doing instant photography and then portraiture and then fashion and then art and then still kind of just snowballs and try everything, I guess, you know. It uh, yeah, it's you have to when you're in it. Yeah, I, I'm so <laughs> yeah. jealous of the people that can like once they start 
they're like, oh, I'm a street photographer. Like, that yeah. Is, yeah. you know, like I wish that any of that was ingrained because I did like two years of street photography, then I did portrait, then I did music, then I did fashion, then I went back. And now, you know, it's kind of like 10 of all trades instead of a jack of all trades, like a little less, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that that's how it was for me, too. I, I like started with music and then shot weddings for a while. Then I came out to LA and was on set. And now I'm like not really doing that anymore. So yeah, all those people were like, I'm this and that's it. And it's been this forever. And here's my gorgeous one body of work. Yeah. I'm like, damn, my stuff's all over the place. You were on set like product- like production side or? Yeah, I was uh, unit still photography. Oh, hell yeah. For dude. a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I still do it. It's not that I don't do it. I just, it's not like what I'm focusing on right now. So yeah. I can relate to, to See- that. See, but that it's like so tied to like, I guess, more of the collegiate spectrum of photography, too, because you like get out of your MA, you have like one body of work on your website that's like 10 images of like a hyper specific Mm -hmm. topic. And that's all like there's not like daily photos. No, they're not working regular jobs like the whole art school motif of a lot of like photographers. You see their website and it's like a body of work in one genre with like 10 images. You're like, what? How? Yeah. (laughs) I heard you tell a story, um, I think it was on Willem's um, YouTube, where you talked about how you failed at fr- a freelance a couple of times. Oh, yeah. What was that like? Um, it was it was <laughs> fine. Because I feel uh, like I haven't like officially failed because I still have my, my little part-time job. Well, you have a... Yeah, you you can't fail if you have a job. That's the best part. It's like... Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I was like... Or the worst part. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like snowballed into it. Like I kind of like, I was going to graduate early from college. Actually, I was like going to finish in three years. Found photography, just added the minor and finished it in like a year. And I was like running a social media management company at the time and just like spending a lot of money. I like didn't know I like needed mm. or had or like it was so stupid. I was like living in Williamsburg and I was like 20 years old and paying like $1,500 a month in rent because I thought that was like oh, cool because I was like in yeah. college and working at Polaroid which paid like no money and then like doing freelance social media. So, I was like, oh yeah, once I graduate, fuck it. I quit or Polaroid shut down technically. And so, right. they closed the store and I was like, I could freelance. I don't need to like really care or look for a job. Like, graduated college went to freelance i was like i don't need social media money anymore quit the agency wow and then (laughs) failed in like like Uh, six months maybe like (laughs) maybe like less than a year um and then uh i picked up a couple jobs i started working at lamography which i ended up managing for a couple years as well in new york i actually started helped kyle start brooklyn film camera a little bit back in the trade days like it was like him julian the head technician who's still there now and this is like before they had their space doing the kind of just the williamsburg fairs and street vendors and stuff so i helped them with that for a couple months and then i did like odd jobs like i helped like a rich family like move like i don't know random things um (laughs) Gotta do what you yeah, gotta yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. literally. <laughs> so I, I started working at Lomography. I was doing Brooklyn Film Camera. And then I got offered the management position there. So I took that and I did that for like four years or something. It's kind of crazy. Like uh, it became like a lot more encompassing than I thought it was going to be. At first it was just like a retail thing. And then I was going to quit because it wasn't paying that well. And the existing marketing manager was like, oh, you're going to take my job because I'm leaving. And then he left. <laughs> and then at the same time, they got rid of the current store manager and lab manager. So it was like, oh, we want you to do the marketing, but we need someone to take care of the shop. So then there was like just 
tons of outside hires and mixes and matches. Like, thank God Beer gets there now, like running shit. Like, oh my God, dude. When I think of the chaos and anarchy that existed when I was like managing the space, um, partly on my fault, but (laughs) like before (laughs) kind of like Frank was there and Frank's gone now, unfortunately. Um, well, not unfortunately, he like moved to Dubai is living his best life. Thank God. Like what a man, good what a, what a man yeah. dude. Ugh. So it was like me and Frank, we started at the same time working on the floor in the store and then I managed and he did the wholesales. Then he was president. Then he left and now Birgit is running the show, which is amazing is. from a cultural standpoint too. Like I think like a lot of light needs to be shined on like female president of like a film corporation like under 30 like does her own creative like writing like i told her like when she took i was like dude you need like a kinfolk article on you or something like uh, you need like (laughs) like you deserve your own like press run like she's she's fantastic she's a good friend um yeah and always did freelance on the side with that accompanying that but um and then I, after Lomography closed down, they still exist, but the store and the gallery, because yeah, yeah. it was like a, I don't know if you guys ever visited there or went to the space. I've been to the space. Yeah. Yeah. Before it closed. And we're actually. Unfortunately not. Yeah. We'll be there in March. Yeah. We'll be there in March. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, I mean, so it was gallery space, retail and lab. So mm-hmm. I ended up running all three like at a period Damn. of time for a couple of years. So we put on an exhibition like every six weeks to two months or sometimes once a month. Um, so I curated like and commissioned like 30 or 40 exhibitions in like the wow. four years. That's awesome. and, like, that sounds like so much fun. Um, kind of. I'm sure it's a lot of stress it, and pressure. It too, ended but... up being a lot of production as well because like, mm the artist couldn't print themselves. They're like, we didn't have the budget. Uh, and then it's like the day before, they're like, we don't really have anything. So then I, we had to print with no our way. lab. And uh, oh my God. Um, some of the artists came super prepared and were like ready and some had their own press and stuff. But um, again, like before Birgit signed on, like the current marketing manager until then was like not very good at her job. So I ended up doing a lot of the store marketing and stuff. So mm-hmm. like if an artist came without prep, it would be an exhibition with like 10 people and it's like oh. it's a little disheartening so yeah you get the that highs is. and lows like we had um, one of my friends sincere did a show and like asap rocky showed up and like tons no of way. like hundreds awesome. of people like we had to close <laughs> yes. it and then there's an exhibition the next week of another artist like younger like and there's like 10 people and like half of them are like friends or like locals so right. like, yeah. it kind Bummer. of like you know curating and producing shows is like um I see the other side of it now of like, mm. you know, I always want to have a show, but like seeing the variance of shows within the same venue and like all that kind of stuff mm. has been interesting from my photography standpoint now of like how much press you need, how much you should invest, not in just making the work, but how it's shown, first of all, like how it's printed. Yeah, exactly. And, I agree. And like... Yeah who you reach out to because like you can reach out to like bigger like like vice and whatever but if you're not dealing in Mm. youth culture then it doesn't apply so you need to find the niche of like your kind of work like if you work in like femininity and like body positivity there's like certain avenues that will be better than trying to get you know um a general like milk studios to support your event or like new yorker or something like that um so, I don't know. It was a cool place to curate tons of shows, do a lot of pop-ups. Like, since I managed the lab, I got to give out, like, a lot of, like, free film and development to local artists and support them for a long period of time, which is great. 
which is just me developing it and scanning it myself. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's fine. Like we did like as soon as like Trump got elected in 2016, like I developed like 100 roles and put out like a free service for any documentation of anti-Trump protests in New York for like a week or two, which was like super fun. But like small, small things like that. But it was uh, had its time and now it's now it's done now it's done yep. <laughs> on to the next i know lomo is great we love i know i know you guys do so. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i saw um also i think it was on one of the negative feedback videos when you did uh when you did George and his girlfriend's portraits on the peel apart eight by 10, like you, you said, I think it was also in the Willem video as well. Sorry. We were all like doing our research on you. (laughs) (laughs) And in the, so they like sponsored you and stuff for a while. You Um, said like Polaroid and stuff. They were giving you film. Basically Polaroid hired me and then they closed down and then I got a job with their technicians and then they closed down again. But Mm. I've like known them for so long. They kind of just like, if I need something, they'll like send me a couple packs of film and it, it, it varies. Like they also are like one of my best like freelance contractors. Like, um, uh, I've been in California since July mm. and they flew me out to New York for two months to run. They did a pop-up in Soho and they just like flew me out to like manage that and run it for like a month. Wow, that's rad. That's so cool. Then we did a collaboration with FAO Schwartz and they kept me in New York for that, which is more of a holiday activation, a little different than like the Soho, like nice gallery pop-up than this like very commercial, like, um, photo booth collaboration stuff. Um, I did something with them in LA for, um, Stranger Things they launched a new season they did like an immersion like room in LA on like Sunset Strip for like three days so they had us like do like an immersive activation and like they hired a bunch of actors Polaroid and Netflix so man I wish I had known about that I would have went it was terrible (laughs) oh what (laughs) I mean it's like one of those guided influencer tours where they take you through like all the different sets like it's great that Polaroid collaborated with that but it was very much like a consumerist like Netflix um, Mm. tourist activation but Polaroid's doing great collaborations now because of this acquisition of their name brand and the influx of money that Oscars sent so they they just kind of like send me film they support me and they give me like odd jobs like i've taken their corporate like holiday headshots for the last like three years like stuff like that like uh, (laughs) that's exchange they'll like (laughs) you know send me some like film once or twice um i got my car broken into and they stole like all my kit like the first weekend i was in la like last summer yeah so like my rb67 the custom polaroid back that i've never seen like um another film camera (laughs) and stuff like that um and they sent me like an sx70 as like a thing as like a hope you get better like kind of stuff they're they're super great um i'm like family friends with a lot of them so kind of maintaining that relationship has been like a really good kind of cohesive influx i've also taught like tons of workshops for them for like free or like whatever it's a it's a it's a symbiotic relationship, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great little, uh, little, little uh, deal you guys have yeah. there. That's so cool. Uh, whatever they need, you know. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. they were doing workshops. Is it um, stuff they do often, or no, not not too much anymore. Like during the pop up this November, we taught like weekly workshops about like the new Instant Lab, which I've used for a long time, like for my artistry mm-hmm. as well. Um, we did a collaboration workshop with ICP, doing like the eight by tens and like demonstrating those 
it's, it's pretty sporadic. Um, I hosted a lot of workshops through Lomography. One of them was Polaroid mixed collaboration and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I feel like I have always worked within the medium that makes the film because of, I guess, my technical... Like, I like the technicalities of film and the knowledge of yeah, working yeah. with these. So they make more sense to me as collaborators than like a brand or, right. you know, or, um, or a gallery or a magazine that wants like a specific thing. Like I always like work with how it's made, how it's developed. And I think my science brain kind of works along those lines <laughs> a little yes, bit easier. Yes, you're um, right. Dude, that's so crazy that it all started from like a Flickr contest. Yeah, I know, right? You know, what, know. you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, <laughs> see, at the same time, though, that's what everyone has now with Instagram and social media. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like people have more chances to get that notice and like thing through every version of social media every day. Just the serendipity of me submitting something during a Polaroid week when I didn't even know what yeah, Flickr contests yeah. were. Right. Like, is the same as, like, you know, meeting Basquiat on the street in the 70s or 60s and being exactly. like, oh, yeah. what's up? You know? Yeah. Uh, now people yeah. and kids have that opportunity every day just by DMing and reaching out via social media. Like, so wild. What a world we I live know. in, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just uh, I was just in Mexico shooting Arts Week um, in Mexico City. They do like gallery festivals, like Freeze a little bit. There's like three big ones, and I was shooting. And um, I like tagged two of the galleries on just like my phone documentation. They follow me now, and they like know me. And we're like in conversation, uh, so and awesome. like that that could never happen. The accessibility of like right like white wall gallery versus like dude taking a phone photo of a sculpture you know what i'm saying like yeah the idea of like the opportunity that people have to like promote their own work and also connect mm -hmm. with like-minded artists is like so democratized now it's it's beautiful and like i wish i like started mm -hmm. with that i mean i wish oh, right. i mean a lot Jeez. of people i wish started with that there's a lot of like yeah. older photographers that like are fantastic that i know and have like consulted with and talked to that like if they had the internet and like even just the 90s or early 2000s they'd be like right mm. everything at this point yeah. you know <laughs> damn so i don't know it's it's a it's a mixed bag like i the exclusivity of the gallery market's different and social media has its faults and its benefits you know like also yeah, for sure just the idea of like taking an instant photo to then like take two hours to flatbed scan it to then post it smaller than it is on like your phone <laughs> is like in a in a context is like not the best to think about but it has so many opportunities of like yeah. what you can do with it i guess <laughs> are you still shooting the 8x10 polaroid stuff Nah, dude i had to sell my camera when i moved no so, no bummer. <laughs> so i basically i lived in new york for like nine years and um, yeah yeah i lived in the same apartment like studio apartment where i shot and worked with another photographer and a painter which was another reason I was in Mexico. He lives in Mexico now. He paints these like oh, okay. seven feet tall fucking canvases. He's amazing. Um, wow. But we all lived together wow. in this like quintessential Bushwick gentrified warehouse thing. <laughs> <laughs> but we lived there like before it was like super expensive. They basically priced us out. So after like five oh. years in the same spot, they were finally like, we're not renewing the lease. You got to go. Yeah. And normally you just like find another place to live. Like I, me and my other roommate, we moved out. We like, I got engaged and I moved in with some other person. Then that didn't work. And then I moved back into the same, like, it was just this gravitated, like, home. And then they were finally <laughs> like, you got to go. And yeah. my painter roommate was like, well, 
fuck this, I'm going to Mexico City. Like, why don't you just like go somewhere else? And that mo- that thought had like never crossed my mind. Like that synapse never fired like mm. once. Wow. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I like traveled the country and shot with like some people. I've got commissions other places, but like never thought in my mind. It just like never occurred to me to like move somewhere. I was like, oh, huh. and i'm from california so i like moved back and like gave la a shot for a little bit um but when i moved i had to like i was spent thousands of dollars on like art Mm -hmm. books monographs magazines c stands studio equipment that i like it's more expensive to ship it than it is to like reown it so Mm -hmm. that was the 8x10 the processor itself is like Uh. you know like 40 pounds 8x10 camera, monorail. So, I ended up just selling it. It was, like, more expensive to ship it than it was to buy a new one. Yeah. But I miss shooting it. I would. I I believe it. I believe (laughs) it. I think also, though, like, you need a reason to shoot it, too. Like, there's, like, the stuff that I was doing before and, like, travel work and stuff. Like, I've traveled. I've shot with George. Like, we did a workshop in Portugal together on 8x10 and, like, my processor broke on my flight to Berlin and we had to source a new one and I had to, like, tape it together. (laughs) So, like, already it's just, like, why? Like, it's so much work to do it. If you don't have a specific reason to shoot it, then, like, maybe hold off, especially when it's, like, 200 bucks a pack of film. And Polaroid themselves haven't made 8x10 film in super long like they yeah. went like a whole like 18 months without making it because they lose money when they make it. <sighs> so they can like impossible Polaroid can only make like one film at a time. So to like stop production of 600 to make eight by 10 film, they lose money on that return because oh, wow. you can yeah. only make this much. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's the same with Kodak. Like they can make like basically one type of film a day and stay like cost effective. So it's like mm-hmm. to make one batch of like Ektar, for instance, sells way less than Portra. You like loot the dividends, like kind of vibe out. Huh. So that's one of the reasons why Spectra is gone now is the expense of the film to turn off to make Spectra eight by ten versus six hundred. Yeah, for these like niche markets is just like a little too high. They they were saying something like losing like fifty grand or something when they make a batch of eight by ten film off the jump, Jeez. just because like. Yeah. Oof. There's so much demand for the 600, the iType, the SX70 right. film. And most of the 8x10s are either gifted out to artists for marketing because there's not too many people that are like mm-hmm. doing enough work where they could justify buying it. Um, so it kind of just like they didn't make it for a couple of years and like, I don't know, it's like find the new project and then maybe do it. But I don't want yeah, to just gratuitously like do it for the sake of doing it. I also ended up taking a lot of like boring images on eight by ten that I thought were interesting because they were eight by tens. And then, like, ten, yeah, I then can I can like, see myself yeah. doing then that. Then you like yeah. look back and you're like, what? Like, okay, yes, this is a picture of a person. Cool. Like, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'm kind of really against the whole like medium bias, I guess, of like people are like, oh, this image is better because it's shot on film or it's shot on eight by ten when. You know, a, a stagnant image is a stagnant image, kind of regardless. Yeah. And if right. if I don't have a reason to shoot the eight by ten that I can actively think of and obsess over, then there's not a reason to spend thirty bucks of a photo plus reinvesting in a whole another kit and a processor wow. to then, you know. <laughs> do you think you'll do anything with your old eight by tens? Do you think you'll ever like put them oh, together yeah. for anything? No. I burn. I. <laughs> Uh-oh. Before I, <laughs> so, uh oh! So before I left New York, I did like a solo like exhibition, 
at like these like local studios and um I did like a video of me burning like a thousand Polaroids and wow. <laughs> like just like wow. in a bar in Kyle's backyard. So in, like yes. Kyle DePew, like owner of Brooklyn Film Carol, yes. like, yo, can I go into your like also the most like environmentalist like activist ever? I was like, Can I yeah. go into your <laughs> can I go to your backyard, have a bonfire? And burn all of these toxic chemicals over the course of like an hour. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so I burned like a thousand Polaroids or something like that and just kind of like wow. sacrificed them to the wind. A lot of them were the 8x10s because they were just like not great images. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it would be fruitful to do an exhibition of big Polaroids just for the sake of it. And I, mm. I used a lot of them on consignments or paid portraits or model tests and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, they don't, they're not super cohesive. It's all random people. Like, I don't, I don't think as an exhibition or even a zine, it would like show up or like showcase together cohesively. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing of like, oh, would you put all your 35 millimeter together in a show? Like when you think of it, of yeah, any no, other no uh-huh. definitely not. <laughs> They don't, uh-uh. they don't cohese uh, as well, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Do you do you have any advice for anybody who's trying to get into like the fashion world or freelancing in general? Yeah, dude, get a digital camera. <laughs> no. I, was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I was like very much blessed enough to like manage a lab, um, severely understaffed to then like get film and develop it myself and do that um, to be able to do a couple yeah. like a uh, lot of model tests, editorial stuff for free based on being able to shoot it on film because I could do it for free. But if you tabbed out those costs, if you like had to get it, even if you scanned it yourself on a flatbed, like your time as an artist yep. and stuff, um, I don't think it'd be possible. So, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to go for. Like if you're trying to shoot, like I have a couple of friends who shoot model tests full time. Yeah. Like they just take photos of young models hired by the agency, make them look nice in a cohesive way and they get a living wage like more than i make like there's there's like a very good market for it if you're like very consistent deliver the same product kind of like a photo booth essentially but like in a much higher caliber but it wouldn't be cohesive to do on film right it wouldn't be financially stable to do on film uh if you want to do more lookbook editorial fashion stuff i think just shoot what you want to get hired yeah, for okay. as well yeah, like yeah. kind of do everything like uh i did a interview with frank Ockenfels for a podcast he's this amazing photographer he shoots like large format polaroids of like angelina jolie in the 90s but also shot yeah. all of all of the yeah. current posters for american horror story like he works high industry digital and then like he shoots also like his own stuff um and he told me he's just like shoot both like, you yeah. have, like, 30 minutes with a person, shoot all the cliche digital photos to check off that list, and then experiment with the film. So, I think you Dude, can... yes. I think you can definitely do both, but I think my mistake was veering more towards, like, doing all of the experimental stuff, and I took, like, four clean photos on, like, my phone, or, like, <laughs> you know, like, dude, my, my Mark III is, like, a glorified light meter, like, I, I like shoot like three yes. photos i look at the monitor like oh this is like fine and i like bust out like 20 rolls of film on like a free test or some shit like it's like not oh, you man. know i would say like kind of leverage your average of like yes if you see someone who you think is like gonna be a star you're shooting like a young actor for press or something you think that's like this is the one to invest that in it's just more weigh your options and i feel like each client or each free person you shoot is gonna be what other people look at at the next one because of social media of like your last post 
your last nine posts on your Instagram is probably a portfolio until you're working in like a higher market. Good one there. So it's like, like that. Shoot, if like I don't post that many fashion images as much right now because I'm not booking fashion. So like me posting like a bunch of photos of like heavy makeup, like avant-garde couture clothes are not going to hire me in San Diego or LA because that's different. Like today I built like a whole new PDF deck of portfolio of like commercial images that I feel like are more coastal and outside Mm -hmm. and tailoring to your client, I guess. Um, Your Instagram can't be like a bunch of black and white street photos. And then you try to book like a colorful like (laughs) H&M gig, you know, like it's, um, It's got to be relevant to what you want to do at this moment. And that can change. Like you can, like if you look at my Instagram, like six months ago, it's all fashion. Right. And like maybe six months from now, it'll be fashion if I go back to New York and shoot more fashion. But like it has to reflect what you want to do at this point or like what's your next immediate goal or your next immediate um, client, I guess, if you want to get paid for it. Or if you just want to shoot cool people, then shoot more interesting people you just see and be like, these are the people I'm looking for. Like if you want to shoot an alternative subculture, as soon as you see one on the street, you got to run over and ask for their portrait because you can't like shoot like tattooed goth people in California. If you don't have a portfolio of tattooed goth people that exist (laughs) in this essence. So you kind of have to every day shoot for what you want to shoot as well as the people you want to shoot too. Cause that's the biggest thing is like, if I'm shooting only fashion, I'm never going to get hired to shoot jewelry et cetera, et cetera. Right, you got to right, have to do right. everything. Or like, I feel like a lot of my abstract work of Polaroids and stuff gets overshadowed because most of my audience is from portraits. So it's yeah, hard to like, okay. it's hard for me to yeah. pitch to like a, the Whitney or something. if like all my photos are like model tests of like attractive young adults somewhere in the city. So it's, uh, it's kind of, that's yeah, that's so true. Yeah. You really got to present yeah. what you want. I meant, or have a nice PDF of stuff you've done like five years ago. That's relevant <laughs> yeah. that yeah. you then yeah. pitch and send out. Do so you have, do you have a lot of like content? Like when you shoot for magazines, do you just like cold call people? Um, it, it depends. I think it's a mix of both. Like, I think it's also about fashion is interesting because there's a team element. So like sometimes like I'll get a magazine job because the stylist got hit up by the magazine and is looking for a photographer for this actress or this makeup artist is like wants to do a project and he has a connection to a magazine so that if I just shoot it then it's in there um, I think when I was starting out I shot a lot of stuff that I just kind of liked and then pitched that around yeah I don't think that's the most effective especially on cost like back to what I was saying about like spending like one of the reasons I moved out of New York too is I was spending I spent like four thousand dollars to produce my own fashion shoots that like didn't go anywhere (laughs) that they were supposed Mm. to go to Um, so you can also like make huge mistakes and invest a lot of money in something that's like not gonna be super beneficial to you so see that's so tough (laughs) like I always like anytime I try to do stuff like that it's like a complete wash and it's just you know it's it's like rolling the dice you don't know what's gonna like yeah absolutely for sure yeah i can't even tell you how many times i've printed promotional cards like promo Mm -hmm. cards to like send out to magazines and i've yet to send one so but that's a whole other (laughs) confidence thing we won't talk about right now but yeah yeah so i mean there's like a mix of it like you know like if i'm shooting just an editorial already a stylist to get on once like 10 outfits and then you end up shooting like 30 rolls of film. Yeah. That's a cost of VELP scan, et cetera. Even if you have a discount or you scan at home, time, all that money's gone. Yeah. And then it's supposed to go in this Vogue shoot. And then we didn't shoot enough of this one look. So then it has to go to this obscure Australian magazine that 
doesn't provide you the return on benefit. So just because it's published somewhere doesn't mean it's really <laughs> yeah. where you need to be going. So right. um, I think just analyzing like what is this emotionally and financially costing you before you start. Because I'm a person that just like, if you get inspired by an idea, I just run with it like a dog yeah. chasing a stick. And that's like Same. terrible Same for yeah, my like, us too. my, um, like my roommate was like, Hey, I'm having a show in Mexico city. It's also arts week. And I bought like a last minute, like ticket that's supposed to be like 50 bucks. It was like $400 just for a last oh, minute geez. flight to Mexico yes. and then shot like 30 rolls of film. And like, yes. you know, I have like two confirmed magazines for these like five days of just like you know, shooting around and spending money, which is like just a terrible idea. So I think pre-planning and like going with intention is super important. Do you, when you approach them, do you ever say like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a film photographer though. And this is like my look and this is why I shoot film and this um, is the to say like cover the budget for that. It's a mix of both. I think like right now we're in like a really nice place in a commercial landscape where like lots of magazines, like film is just trendy at this point. Yeah. yeah so like it real. can yeah, be pitched as like a good marketing tool. Like I think like a couple of years ago, you'd get even less of a budget. Like we're, we're in this like kind of weird sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Like I think 10 to 15 years ago, it was still part of like everyone's process. So they accepted yep. it. And then like five years ago, like right when I started, it was like, why do it? Mm -hmm. And then now it's like, okay, you can like pitch this as an idea. Like <laughs> one of my like bigger clients I shot like two years ago paid to shoot film, but then I had to scan it with the fake borders and they like imprinted the brand's logo on the film uh, rebate. And it was it no. disheartening. <laughs> Even though most of them were digital, it was like a mix of both. Yeah. Like so they you know client may want a film aesthetic but they don't want to pay for the processing of film but you know isn't I was, that that's funny yeah. so <laughs> it, I, I think right now we're in a positive climate for film so i think like maybe finding the right magazine or finding the right client mm -hmm. that likes that like seeing a shoe brand and like they're behind the scenes or like unborn fake film stories and like maybe you'll like have yeah. a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah. of a sway to like be like oh i can shoot this on film also and give you the real thing but I would say always like shoot both. That's my problem. I always like, yeah, I'm going to shoot both. And then I just like get caught up giving the client what they want mm -hmm. and just, you know, and I'm, and I'm always, damn, even if I shot like yeah. four frames just for me. Yeah. You know? I was just going to say, you need to give like 10 minutes. Just yeah. save 10 minutes to bust a couple, like, you know, yeah. I, I shot this 10 this, shots on your Pentax or yeah, something like I sh that. I shot this actress <laughs> for MTV and it was so rushed, but I mean, the images were great and they were on MTV.com and all that. And I was just like, if I had just been like, okay. And like, if I just been like part of my, this is part of it, like, and, and switch yeah, yeah. the camera without them even knowing, and you know, you think back, like, damn, I could, I could have. See, that's the hard part for me is like, I roll up with a full cart with like RB67, <laughs> Canon Mark III, Contax G1, yeah. SX70, and like my Spectra, like Macro 5. And I'm like, well, they can kind of really see the difference between the two. So like, as soon as they yeah, see me pop it yeah. off, like macro photos of like an eyelash, like, all right, we'll move on to the next, uh, <laughs> next look. Um, and that's also like having a great like assistant and stuff is like super helpful yeah. because yeah. they can keep you in check of like, I don't like if I, my assistants, I don't really have them like do the lighting for me. I usually direct that myself, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, once you get there, a lot of commercial photographers are like, Oh, set this up. And they sit back and like, they do that. I'm a lot more hands-on with like, the lighting motifs and the structures, but I always have them remind me like, oh, make sure to take a couple Polaroids or make sure to switch yeah. to this camera or make sure you have 
a couple of front flashes and stuff. Because I think it's super easy to take like a portrait session and make it like so much more just based on like three variables. Like you have a, yeah. you have outside, you have like a white wall and you have like mm-hmm. a V flat. That can be like white wall front flash, white wall ambient light, location, location front flash, black wall. And then you can like turn that down. And then that between digital Polaroid and film, you have like six looks on like mm-hmm. one V flat. Literally, you can like make a portrait session like six looks based on the variable of like one piece of foam core. So like the idea of like being reminded that like your cameras can do more than one thing or you don't have to just shoot like this window light photo of this person. You can do like window light, white wall front flash. You can do ambient light against black, make it super moody and Rembrandt lighting all within like five minutes like really like you flip a you put like a black cloth and you look at a white wall somewhere at someone's house or like you know it's super easy to like just add that and they're so different like visually to any consumer like a an ambient light like against black photo versus like a front flash white wall photo is so different as a motif and you can accomplish completely different yeah you can accomplish that in like less than 30 seconds with like pretty much the exact same camera. So like the idea of like overshooting and just realizing don't shoot like a hundred digital five rolls of film on the same look Mm -hmm. and the same thing when you could just shoot half a roll of film here and half a roll of film outside and half a roll of film against a white wall with a flash and you have like three distinct looks that are providing a client as well as yourself so many more visual motives that's what i would need an assistant for just to someone to tap me and be Mm -hmm. like move on next go Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'll just get stuck in one spot being like all right bam 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 like no we gotta move gotta move move." (laughs) that's so funny too because that's where like editorial like shooting for yourself goes so different than shooting for a client because it's like mm-hmm. we're like a client's like we're only paying you for four hours so like you, right. fuck, you better do it you <laughs> gotta like, move yeah whereas like you're shooting a musician that you like and you know and you're like oh like you blink and it's like 12 hours later and you've done like <laughs> five looks maybe and you're like what where did this go like yeah light's gone everything's yeah, different geez. So what uh what what are you working on now? Like what's your um, what's your game plan for, for I now? I don't know. I'm really not doing that much fashion. I've been doing a lot of like still life work lately. Mm. Um kind of bridging like I've been aiming I was represented by a gallery a couple of years ago and I did a print collection that had some of that work in it and I realized like how much I miss doing that. So doing a lot of recreation, um doing some works based on like fine art painters and stuff. Uh, I'm a performance artist as well. So like doing works that have to do with dancers and stuff. Cool. I have like six or so editorials just like on the timeline or stuff that I've shot that like needs to be edited that will go somewhere. So that kind of takes care of like social content while I figure out more stuff. Um, But just traveling, like I, I went to Mexico to shoot some stuff and I like really love the landscape and have ideas to shoot it. Um, I've been working with like AR stuff like I did. Um, so the Polaroid ah, pop up cool. was the instant lab, right? Which is this camera that takes a mm-hmm. photo of your phone screen. They implemented like augmented reality into it. So you can like hold your yeah, phone yeah, over yeah. the thing and you see this. It's crazy shit. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I've been working with a lot more like painters and sculptors and artists that are like cross mediums and stuff. So figuring out new things like trying to mix what we do with film with like a new media. So I was doing something where you can generate images based on text now with like AI programs and then like 
probably using the instant library darkroom to enlarge that onto film. So like a digitally artificial, like artificially created image put yeah. on the Polaroid. Um, that was some of the work I was represented by a gallery for like six years ago. And I'm like really into reapproaching. I think just finding a way to like showcase photography as like fine art and not just like content on a screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. I've been doing a lot of print collections instead of like zines. So like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that idea. So I have like three out now um, that are all like different. I have one that was called like, um, I have such a bright future behind me, which was like all of these editorials that I spent like hundreds of dollars on that I thought was like gonna be the next thing. This is what's gonna get me there. And they all like did not pan out that way. So like these like false starts and like the approach of like the hubris of an artist of like, this is my best work. This is what's gonna get me publisher in the MoMA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, (laughs) And how they like don't work out sometimes. Um, So I have like a print collection based on that of like old client work and like some gallery stuff that I thought was like the thing. And obviously like looking back, it's like definitely not Um, commercial work sometimes when it comes, I'm like not doing too much fashion now. So like figuring out alternative ways to like get money through photography, like print collections, like small group shows, um, commissions, like, more like portraits of artists commissions, not like um, lookbooks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of a mix of everything. I think trying to do that. You can do so much. Like you can take a photo of a musician at a concert at night and then in the morning, shoot some still life for like a jewelry brand and then also shoot documentation and street photography for your upcoming show. There's like so much to fill the mm-hmm. day with. So I don't know. It's like kind of a mix of all of those things, trying to figure out yeah, the balance yeah. that works for you. Like, as an artist as well. Cause I think some people are definitely geared towards like, I turn on, I don't carry my camera unless I'm working. But once I'm carrying my camera, I'm like shooting. And like, that's like a version. And then some people it's like, Oh, I just documented my whole life. And somehow it's like aesthetically beautiful and I get paid for it. Like, you know, there's a lot of artists I know that <laughs> yeah. just like fucking walk around. They like take photos of nothing and they like get hired to take photos of nothing, you know? So like finding uh, yeah. that uh-huh. balance of who you are as an artist. Um, the dream. <laughs> Is it though? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of influencers now at this point where they're like, I hate this. Like, <laughs> where they wish oh, they, sure. their like life could not be documented. They could escape from mm, that sort of. That's a that's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. That I would like, yeah. you know. Anyway, <laughs> my goal of this year is to figure out. I've been working on a couple imaginative motifs, and the idea of just like how photography is in essence capturing something or documenting something, so you can't create for others in a way like um this like romantic from a romantic ideal like if you love someone you can like write a song about them right or you can like paint them something you can create most artists can just create out of their internal beings and photography can't really do that like i can't give this woman i love a photograph because i have to inherently document whatever that is and you can create the environment like a bouquet of flowers and take a photo of that but you can't just rawly give affection um, because also it's the context of the person receiving this image. So I've been trying to work out ideas where you can like what that means. Like how can a photographer create an emotion without like Mm. abusing a subculture or like, you know, like I photographed couples a lot and I photographed like grief and like stuff like that. I like, I do a lot of freelance like lab work too. So I've like printed a lot of like funeral photos and shit like that. Like you can document sadness as an emotion, but it's someone else's sadness. Like how can you create an image that invokes a feeling without like 
A, appropriating culture, or B, just like being, yes, a photo of a flower will make you feel warm, but like it's not a personal denotation of like emotion. So I don't know. Man, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait to see what you come I, up with. I, I, yeah. I don't fucking know. <laughs> my, I, I talk to my roommate a lot because he, he does paintings, but they're photorealistic paintings. So we, okay. like he's painted a couple of my photographs and like works with that, but he's creating something out of nothing basically. But yeah. it's in the style of an object that he yeah, invokes wow. text onto. Like, you know, I think about like a, a song like, dude, like King Cruel, Moses Sumney, Grimes, all came out with albums <laughs> yes. like yesterday. And yesterday. I feel like yeah. so much. But it's like the idea <laughs> that like this dude like can like, oh, I like feel, you know, a lack of romance in my life. So I'll just make a song about it, you know, or like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yes. I love this girl. So I'm just going to like make a song about it or like make a drawing or make a painting like we can't do that because our medium yeah. is inherently documentary so like how can you kind of bridge that or maybe that man that's i never thought of it that way I, that's so crazy i always think about like writers or painters or sculptors or anybody who can just oh, be like yeah. okay i'm gonna create right now because i can you know oh dude absolutely i was just um working on the ar thing too like Frank O'Hara, famous poet, like just made a poem about the day he found out that Billie Holiday died. And like that, like sticks mm -hmm. in my brain, like to this day, like he made mm -hmm. like the finest piece of like poetry in like the 20th century about how he was feeling when a fellow artist like passed away. Like you can't create a wow. photograph about that. Like you have like, yeah. or maybe you can, that's what I'm trying to find out. But like, you know, right, right. you could just write out of nothing. Like you can just make a story like mm -hmm. out of your stomach. Like, <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, but. Us as photographers have this like kind of like this medium restriction of like only documenting something or like do you create yeah. a scenario where that exists or you make a color field or maybe you print your photo and make it a sculpture like I've been doing the emulsion lifts on like flowers and rocks and stuff and like maybe that's like a seminal bridge but probably not like just working it out. Where can we see the rock Polaroid? <laughs> I, I need to on, see what I this is. I put it on my story. I'll send it to you. I, it's going to be part of a bigger, <laughs> a bigger project. Um, I did one. I did a photo of a rose, and then I emulsion lifted the rose, the photo, and put it on top of the rose that I photographed and rephotographed it. Wow. That was for like another printed project I did in reference to like suffocation of love and all that. You know, just also like yes. working within like a medium. Um, yeah. So I think it's part of wow. a bigger project, but I don't know. They, it's but then, like, I've, the rose, like, died, and then the Polaroid stayed in the same shape, even though the rose wilted, because the emulsion is, huh. like, kind of hard at this point. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's a lot to experiment with the medium. Or maybe you do, like, a digital print, and you wrap it around something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There's, like, yeah. so much to experiment with the form of photography as well. Like, we look at photographs as, like, screen, like, image screens. And, like, the color of this print is based on your iPhone slash Droid slash Google Pixels color palette as well. So, like, how much we're dictated by, like, how we see it is, like, super interesting. So, I don't know. It's making me think, yeah, forcing yourself outside of the box, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I always love that because, like, uh, Ed Templeton, he will paint on some of his photographs. Oh, yeah, dude. Or, like, right. And it's just, like, I'm always, like, damn, that's such a great idea. And, like, he's already doing it, so I'm not going to do it, you know. But, like, I just love stuff like that. I love taking it and manipulating it and I mean, doing 100%. something with it. Like, there's so many, like, um, like Dwayne Michaels, like, the first guy that started mm -hmm. writing captions. Like, now we appropriate yeah. that, obviously, through, like, Instagram. It has, like, a second life almost through 
the idea of being the first to do it. But then there's like so many photos, like, um, I can't forget the famous artists, but they shoot photos of text. Like then it's like, how does that cross platform? Like the, like, um, this dude photographed like all the hieroglyphics of like the Sphinx, like when it was being made or like, you know, when they first uncovered it, it's like these images of text and how you could light in a cavern on like a wet plate camera. You're like, like, yeah, you right? know what I'm what? saying? Like, <laughs> like, there's so many ways that they kind of cross platform. Um, but also, like, imagine being a painter and the only way you can show your painting besides seeing it is like someone photographing it. What if, like, mm. I photograph yeah. that shit? All my shit's like warm tone. So, like, what if I shoot like an Eve's <laughs> Klein and it's like not the same blue? Like, the <laughs> frustration the of <laughs> yeah. like. You know, like, I can't imagine, like, Monet, like, rolling in his grave, like, all the <laughs> iPhone photos, like, with a filter over his paintings, oh, like, God. in the yeah. name of, like, <laughs> when we think about how our colors are misrepresented on a monitor, like, you think of, right. like, the, like, the Van Gogh, like, painting and how people are Instagram filtering it and, like, <sighs> how different those colors speak to different people or, like, how kind of fucked it is, like, versus the initial so intention true. of the artist, yeah. so, Damn. I don't know. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. We'll be right back with a listener question for Devin right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk also comes from Polaroid Originals. Go to polaroidoriginals.com and use the offer code ANALOGTALK10 at checkout to receive 10% off your next purchase. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Tim Cornish on Instagram. And he asks, how much pre-visualization goes into your fashion-styled artistic portrait shoots? I think it depends on the client. I think there's a lot of people... I mean, you're in fashion inherently, you're working with a team, right? So some shoots you go into where the stylist has like tons of ideas and a lot of different clothes that need to be photographed in a certain way. Um, sometimes if you're shooting for a lookbook, the client's like, we can't make it too dark because then you can't see the detail on the clothes. So mm. yeah, it kind of depends on the boundaries. I think also it depends on the safety and security of the team. Like... Um, from just like a certain standpoint, like I, I've done shoots where some of the clothes, the styling, uh, the stylist brings like for the magazine are like super risque or, you know, vulnerable. Like there's like one that was like this avant-garde, like half dress where it's just like a super long black dress, but it's like cut in half vertically where it's like whole left side, like super oh, exposed. Wow. Um, but it's like a beautiful silhouette. And we shot, we ended up shooting it on like a V flat of like half black, half white. Then like in the half white section, she was wearing the half version of the dress that was half black. So oh, it was like, wow. kind of, cool even split but like you know you have to kind of gauge like that's something that comes into play like day of the shoot then you figure out like what's the lighting motif are we going to do this and you have to always make sure that like the model and everything is like safe with this because especially like in this environment you want to make sure like everyone's comfortable with everything so it's like over explicitly shared like especially when it's like for a personal project of yourself or an editorial for a magazine like if it's for a client usually the client deals with the modeling side of the casting so they have pre-approved guidelines in their contract but if you're doing this shit for like fun or for like you know your artistic integrity and like doing stuff you just want to make sure the environment is like okay and a lot of the times there's like group ethics involved so Mm. you can visualize like all you want of like oh i want this beautiful like mario sorrenti kate moss shoot where she's like naked on a couch and like you gotta like really also communicate that 
comfortability and like that kind of vulnerability. Cause I think a lot of these shoots can also be between friends, artistic sharing. Um, but it's like, uh, it depends on the context. So like this was like hot couture, yeah. you like explain it to them if they're okay with it. Then you try different lighting motifs and these are all brought like random changes brought on the set, like immediately. Like I didn't know this dress was there and it's there. Then you have to like see what's mm-hmm. approved and what's not. And you have to be able to kind of react in a, hyper specific way and like if it is like how are we gonna like this left light from the top what's flattering are we shooting full body um so you can think of certain inspirations and motifs and it can you can send those to the team of like you send to the makeup like oh i'm looking for this dark and moody thing and you just want to convey what you want out of the shoot first and you go back and forth because sometimes like you're like, oh, I'm going for this like dark and moody, like Hugo Compte shoot. And they come with like super sparkly makeup and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So but yeah. it's also like, you know, if if it's an editorial and everyone's working for free, you still want to provide them with something that they can get out of it. Because like a fashion shoot at the bare bones for an editorials, photographer, stylist, hair, makeup, probably assistant if you're lucky set designer and do you want each one of them to be happy if you're shooting for a magazine? Cause really most of this is out of pocket. Like say yeah. I'm spending like 600 bucks on like 20 rolls of film and then like processing at least. But you think of like the stylist taking the full week to go to each one of these shops to pull their clothes and you kind of want to make right. sure everyone's happy. So, I mean, certain people are more planned than others. So like, um, I think pre-visualization is like a pretty important part of like, knowing what you want, but also more than that is planning what everyone else needs or wants at the same time. So you can't like, if I'm like thinking like, I want this like hard, sexy, gritty, black and white, whatever. And like no one else is on the vibe. You got to just scrap it immediately. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I guess like you should have an intention in mind, but also have like a lot of room to play with. Um, and like also like ways to go about like dealing with changes, like, I've done press too. Like I shot LCD sound system for a magazine and, and Nina Kravitz is the DJ and they were playing together. Um, and we were like, Oh, we're going to shoot Easter weekend. They were like, we're going to shoot it at the Williamsburg hotel. Cause they're in there. I'm like, okay, sick. So I thought of like Theo Wenner. I thought of like environmental portraiture, like hotel, like Nan golden kind of vibes, like weird moody hotel, like warm light. I had some tungstens, like some gels. I was like ready to go. And it was Easter Monday was the shoot. And then on Easter Sunday, they were like, Oh, can't shoot in the hotel. Got to find a new place. Easter Sunday, no studios open. Obviously can't even call. So like, thank God I like had a friend who's available, who's like, has a nice apartment with his, um, with his girlfriend. And I was like, can I please shoot at your place tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, sure. And they have like a roof. And I was like, we won't even be in your apartment. And we'll just like shoot on the roof. I like have my backdrop. And then I was thinking like, okay, fuck it. We'll go like Avedon vibes. We'll do like daylight studio, super white, super clean, hyper detailed. Like James Murphy's pretty old at this point. Nina's like super young, like hit that like demographic, like chaos and hyper detail. And then like 10 minutes before the shoot, we're picking them up from the hotel. starts raining. So (laughs) we have to take them into my friend's apartment. And then like, you know, we have, uh, one backdrop, white cloth, black cloth, and then the environment. And then they're like, Oh, we have two hours to shoot, but an hour and a half of that's the interview. So actually you have 30 minutes. So all of these together, not conveyed via client or et cetera, plus like talents, like idea to 
how much they want to pose. So we decide like, okay, front flash, white wall, backdrop, mm-hmm. double exposures. We get some wine glasses because we were, I shot through like my tequila bottle because I drink tequila on set like every day and i like shot through that and got some weird distortions and like playing with that and like being able to like pre-visualization is important but also being able to like adapt Mm -hmm. as soon as humanly possible move on the fly also i think pre-visualizing in essence is also shooting every option possible and whether they choose one or two like we also shot like on a couch we shot together i shot them from outside through a window we shot like i shot red scale films so was like super warm super red vibes uh, i shot them together i double exposed them on top of each other i did everything you can think of because like you have no idea because the initial plan was environmental portraiture and now i have to deliver something they're obviously like not available because it's Wow. A holiday. So you kind of like are left in the dark by the client. You have the talent there and you just have to like do as much as you physically can in that time and hopefully they pick up something. So, I mean. What do they go with? They they did a mix of kind of, they took like one front flash photo of them together like on a couch. Like, thank God, like my friend like lives in like a, like a nice apartment where mm-hmm. it like passably yeah. looked like it like, you know, it yeah. could be their, like, family room or something. Um, so, I did, like, that. Um, they didn't take any of the distortions, but they were my favorite photos. So, I used them in my, like, exhibition before I left. They took, like, random photos of, like, Nina Kravitz, like, reading a, a fake book or, like, reading a real book, like, fakely, like, on a couch. <laughs> like, yeah. like it, se- it turned into, like, an at-home vibe instead of, like, a traveling mm. portraiture kind of thing. But there's no way that you could have, like, imagined change the location, change in weather, change in whatever but you know if you're adept and like thank god i had my julian who works at brooklyn film camera as one of my key assistants and he's fantastic he knows my brain more than i do and like <laughs> he's like okay we could do this he's french so this is a, yeah. very bad french impersonation. he's like we could do this uh rain. and like we like just made it work you know like and just Love figured it. out but he was the one he like was like okay, we can try this and this and this. And like, you know, even if you just have a sounding board, like you can bounce ideas back at yourself more often than not than if it's all like contained in your head and you could like easily freak out and be yeah. like, we have no shot. Like we got to cancel right. this. We got to move it. So yeah, it's like fine. I Pre-visualization is okay, but like most of fashion and press and celebrity is a lot of adapt adaptation and like working on the fly so like have multiple ideas present even if they're not on the docket and then like go with whatever works best because there were certain because i i was like oh dude let's get like james murphy and like bend over backwards and do this he's like i'm not doing that like yeah immediately (laughs) yeah so it's it's about having an idea of what you want and then understanding what the rest of the team wants especially if you're like working with a larger team and a client and then also being acceptable for like kind of improvisation i guess like amongst that that reminds me of a i I got hired to do key art for a movie poster and Mm -hmm. (laughs) heck yeah but the publicity people were like okay we need these gave me a list of like pose with the laptop pose with the phone pose mm-hmm. with this prop i was like all right i'm just gonna go through the list first actor that walks on the the seamless i'm like okay we need you to hold this she's like i'm not doing any mm-hmm. of that yeah and i was like Ugh, okay so <laughs> <laughs> all right and i was like i don't know what to this like i'm getting anxiety just talking about like just talking about telling this story because like i i didn't know what to do we she she just was like no 
And then, of course, the other actor was like, I'm not doing that either. I was like, ah! (laughs) So we just ended up doing like one that they were like and we also need a family portrait because it's they're a family and that's what we need oh my god so the the poster is them posing as a family and like it's like a (laughs) just like a a cracked frame because it's like a a family drama and yeah there was not i had nothing else because i they you know it's like okay we're just gonna shoot you on this white background then and i probably won't get hired again great (laughs) (laughs) this is it that's not the idea is like you can't you can't assume that the talent knows that this is like making or breaking your career as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, oh, do you guys? Uh, <laughs> do you follow Art Stryber? Yeah, it- Art Stryber. I love. I saw him speak once at a, a like a. He was speaking at Santa Monica College for free, and I went and was just like, "I love you." Yeah, it's like I mean, favorite <laughs> Uncle Denotation, like posting on Instagram. This is how it's made. This yep. is the difficulties we had. This is how we got mm-hmm. through it. I mean, obviously, it's like super high budget, not very attainable for right, like right, young right. photographers, but. Just the mentality of like, we had six minutes, this environment, this is how we made it work. I think the adaptability is key for working commercial photographers. Like, I I don't think you should compromise on your vision if you're doing like still life or something or like Mm -hmm. you're doing like Mm -hmm. landscape photography. Like there's there's no reason to. But I think specifically if you want to do like fashion, portraiture, model work, you have to be able to work within a construct and play with the industry um and i think those kind of models are important to know that it just doesn't just like happen like right, right. Oh, some of the best moments also happen out of mistake too yeah i've gotten some great stuff i mean you, like you're when you're talking about like pre-visualizing stuff i've gotten you, you can think all night and like write lists of like all these different concepts and then when you go off and don't do it, you, you get the best, like, I love this way more than my stupid idea. I thought that was yeah, going to yeah. be cool, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. um, what's, what's amazing, that applies to documentary, too. Like, there's um, this story of Dorothea Lang, just to go mm-hmm. 180, mm-hmm. where her, her famous <laughs> uh, photo of migrant woman um, yep. oh, yeah. was mm-hmm. an off-key setting. She was, like, defeated from a shoot or a day of shooting. She drove past this place, and she thought about turning to this park or whatever or this area to shoot and she said nah and then like 20 minutes later she was like fuck it and she turned around yes and that's yep. how she got to the place where she shot like migrant woman like just the idea that like we have i have this moment all the time with like every documentation photo or like every sort of like image of like there's so many missed opportunities and you like go oh, past yeah. and you're like should i have shot this i could turn back now i could turn back now i could turn back now i think about that now that i live here and i drive it's mm-hmm. so different like than new york where it's like you get on subway it's like okay if i got off now i'd have to wait like 30 minutes to get back on the g train like go yeah, you know but yeah. like now yeah. now that i'm driving and i'm shooting more documentary stuff like that's that moment of like readdressing something you thought was impossible too because also like some if we're going back to commercial like some actors are like no i don't want to do that because they don't know you then you shoot like beautiful portraits you show them some photos you show them a polaroid or your back of your screen and you're like oh these are what's nice and like towards the end you're like i really kind of wanted to do that photo can we do it again sometimes they'll say yes and like it's hunting that image so like pre-visualizing like i want this photo of this person this way like maybe they're not comfortable with it at first because they don't trust you right and like you yeah can prove yourself and try again or you reappropriate the situation and try something different there's it's a lot of adaptability like i I think the biggest 
problem with young photographers is the hubris and the ego of like, oh, I know what's best. Pink gel on the left, blue gel on the right. Like, that's the <laughs> only way to do this music portrait. James Blake did yeah. it once. Like, Petra who? Like, you know, there's so many, like, yes, I do believe you should consent. And like, if someone's not comfortable with doing something, just don't do it. But right. if it's yeah. like more of a celebrity hubris kind of vibe, or it's like a new territory that's not like encroaching on their vulnerability of like maybe there's not interest in posing this way you can be like oh okay this is more inspired by Hieronymus Bosch or like Tim Walker you like point out the execution of this too like there's so many ways where it's like someone doesn't have your artistic vision like they don't know every photographer you've ever seen of you know Diane Arbus and these like awkward teens they don't have these photos of Robert Maplethorpe with these vulnerable poses or Nan Golden for example of like Ballad of Sexual Dependency like what I was trying to do or they don't see that whole vision and maybe they just need to see what it is and maybe they would possibly be comfortable yeah. with it after but you can't just suggest like lay upside down on your bed naked I'm gonna put a <laughs> hot light on you like yeah. it just doesn't work that way right. so I think you're you can spend weeks and weeks up until your shoot visualizing what it's going to be but everyone on the team and the talent have to be on board for you to execute that and you can't assume that all of them have done the same research as you or have the same aesthetic prowess as you or have the same want of the final image like you may want a dramatic portrait of this actor because you've seen him like my my dream image would be would be to do a photo of Adam Driver singing Being Alive. Like, this, yes, 100%. Yes, yes. Like, like I'll, even if I shoot him one day in my life, I will never convey the fact that I cried, like, four times re-watching him singing that song in that movie. Oh, but, yeah. like, you can't just say to him, like, we're gonna do that. But, like, you gotta, yeah. like, kind of, you know, work your way around into the sphere of doing something like that. You gotta kind of work with, how much you know and how much they know about you too because you gotta assume a lot of the times the clients don't know who you are they don't know your mood they don't know your spectrum they don't know if you're a pop photographer or a moody photographer right or uh like how serious it is because a lot of these people they're press they're just like oh it's a photo for a magazine oh yeah <laughs> like two poses that's it good answer yeah yeah you, you- <laughs> You decked that. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to we're going to hit you with another with a hard one. Dude, hit me with all of them, dude. Okay. <laughs> you can only shoot one camera for the rest of your life. <laughs> what would it be? Desert Island camera. Desert Island camera. What's your favorite? I thought about this. I have kind of <laughs> I have kind of two answers. So, practically speaking, emotionally right now at this point, RB67 hands down. Mm. Easy. Mm. Um, Jamie Hawksworth, for example, if you listen to Talk Out Podcast, which you should, um, he, <laughs> um, subscribe right now, yeah, but, or just like any kind of photography pre-digital, like it's just, if you take down everything and you take off whatever, it's just a box, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an RB67 yeah. in essence is a piece of glass, just empty space, just box, just distance of air. And then... Yeah film or polaroid or whatever and just that idea that you can just get this metal black cube with just some glass and then that empty space which signifies like the distance between you and your subject and then just film beautiful inherently romantic can work in the tundras i've had my pentax 67 die on me like three times i've had digital cameras die on me like this just tried and true will be there for you maybe it's tied to my like need to be 
you know, relying on someone, have them reciprocate back to me. I don't know. <laughs> um, and not fail on me like most of like my last engagement. Um, but, oh. you know, that just the idea of just it works. It's simple. And it's just the space between you and a subject um, would be something that I could shoot all the time. I mean, it focuses close. Could shoot trees, details, landscapes, yeah. etc. Romantically, I'd like to say my 8x10. But... Yeah, uh. <laughs> uh, can't get that much. Can't get that. Uh, I think you know most eight by tens are like maxed out, hundred twenty fifth shutter speed. Be hard to shoot yeah. any sort of shallow yeah. depth of field, right? You know, especially desert island, very bright. I'm thinking like <laughs> yeah, yeah. hell of top light, like hundred sure. percent. Got to be shooting like f sixteen at least. So yep. you know that gets rid of a lot of qualities that uh. You know, a nice leaf shutter will <laughs> suffice. But mm-hmm. okay, oh, man. second part of this question is there yes. is there anything you're dreaming of right now, lusting after white whale camera? What do you what do you got your eyes on? Yeah, well, it's already gone now. Um, but I think like the Moby C, like the forty by eighty camera or something like uh, that. Yes. You know, like uh, those beautiful photos of like. Chuck Close, or like Elsa Dorfman of like Alan Gainsburg, like those like 40 by 80 Polaroids are just like oh, yep. wow. astounding. And I know exactly, I'd shoot like tall poppies, like still life, like a 40 by 80 photo, like a macro wow. image of like a tall yes. single stem rose. Or like it, it uh, God, imagine I that. Know. Or like a vertical <laughs> coast, like um, one of my favorite examples of large format photography is like the tilt and shift of your focus mm-hmm. of like how yeah. you can shoot like all the tutorials I saw when I was getting into large format was like, oh, why why do you tilt and shift focus? Like what's the point besides like portraiture and like kooky effects was like you could shoot the coast of a beach at dusk hour and get everything in focus even at 5.6 because you would just tilt that plane of focus across the beach yeah yeah. instead of doing a Mm -hmm. long exposure at like f64 and i can only imagine like the coast of a beach on like a 40 by 80 polaroid tilted like at golden hour at this point like that in focus at that detail of the grains of sand and the people without being a Uh, long exposure because i hate i hate the shutter drag of like ocean movement maybe that'll change over time but like i think it's just kind of a cliche that just aesthetically doesn't yeah, appeal to yeah. me but like a sharp no i get it like you know something like that or like more realistically a 20 by 24 because i have like tons of ideas with that and like i know john reuter and i like seen elsa dorfman and like all of those beautiful wow. polaroids are so gorgeous and i can only imagine like the new age application of that doing light abstractions or shooting a 20 by 24 Polaroid of like a stack of like iPhones or something with digital screens would be so fucking sick. Like I can't, I can't imagine like, you know, this like hugely antiquated like analog process of these like new age medias, like mixing that would be so beautiful. But, um, the film's running out. Yeah. Me, um, actually me and Julian from Brooklyn Film Camera, like he made his own 20 by 24 camera. What? And we had we we had like I had at Lomography like the rollers and like a scroll of film and positive <laughs> and like a stack of like these like pods of chemistry and we never got to make it work really. But like uh. that's like a project we like tried to work on and like never got around to like really finalizing. Damn. So it has like a little bit more of a intensity and like could have done it. Yeah, could have figured it out, but just didn't. So probably one of those two. Like, uh, 
you know, these large format Polaroids that I could also do, obviously, portraits and macros and still lifes and stuff. Like, uh, Richard Leroyd is another photographer. If you, if you're not familiar, you should look into. He does just 40 by 60 direct positive onto like color paper, just runs it through like oh, a lab shit. machine wow. after he shoots it. It's like a, okay. it's more of a camera obscura. So it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not as portable. I, I would say mm. like his is like the only one that's still accessible that I would, I would approach like Moby C. I don't make film for anymore. 20 by 24 is done. So dream yeah. camera, like right now I would shoot those, but going forward in life, probably one of his, like it's like a <laughs> camera obscura. It does like, Cibachrome prints like he just shoots that shit onto like fuji paper like directly it just runs it through a lab machine and they're that's so wild incredible i love that, I love that th- that our that our dream camera is now be- becoming like dream camera dead or alive like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and alive it's it's, yeah. The, yeah. it's the one and two yeah um, yeah I don't know. I've had the X-Pan. I've shot every, like, every film camera, like, ever at this point, besides, like, an Arita. Um, mm. So, like, those are the only ones that I haven't had access to at this point that I can imagine, like, great bodies of work that will never exist anymore. Like, I know. the yeah. tall tales of... Yeah. Yeah. I bought a I bought an 8x20 camera on eBay, and then I had to return it immediately because I realized only Ilford makes 8x20 film on special order once a year. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I started looking at it because I was shooting 8x10. I was like, 8x20 is like an 8x10 X-Pan. Sick. Yeah, Let's it is. Let's do it. Wow. And then there's like a dude in upstate New York. He's like, buy it. I was like, yes. And then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> I'd have to like yeah. tape two 8x10s together and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I bet when when he sold, he was like, "Ah, sucker!" So I had got him. Got him. I had to like two hour later, like return it and be like, like, "Actually, I I just I just can't." Yeah, unfortunately, Uh... that's good. Uh, I did I did one project at Loma where so basically a a strip of one twenty film can cover eight by ten. So what I was doing was I in the dark I like unrolled and unpapered a roll of 120 film and just taped it as three strips onto my <laughs> 8x10 holder and I shot it. Yes. And it worked. It was cool. That's, wow. That was, that's another project I would love to get started again, but you need to like... Yeah, I would love to uh-huh. see that. I did like one where it was like um, an 8x... I took one of uh, Frank from Lomography actually. It was like mm-hmm. a strip of Lomo 400, which is Kodak Gold if anyone didn't know. It's all... Kodak film. Uh, and then, oh, I didn't know that. Damn. And then uh, <laughs> a strip of like uh, Portra 800 and then another strip of like Lomo 100. It was like three strips of different films developed yeah. and shot, but on the 8x10 camera. It's like this kind of... Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. It, but something like that or like I did one where it was like uh, Roll Portra flipped it so it turned red scale. So also red scale film is just color negative film backwards. So yeah, flipped around. Yeah, you, like, I, knew, I the, knew that one. If you go in the dark room and you can like unspool your color film, tape it back backwards and rewind it, you can shoot red scale. Super easy. I love wow. red scale film. Um, but stuff like that, uh, it's super fun. But something impossible, beautiful. But then you need like an art context too. Like what's the point? Like, oh yeah, right. I, I shot like an 8 by 10 120 photo of like Lomochrome red scale and uh, portrait. Like <laughs> what does that serve? No purpose unless you have like a... An artistic context yeah. for it. Yeah. You, know? you just put it all in a book. That's what you should do. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure, dude. Well, Devin, this has been amazing. Thank you for for taking the time to chat with us. This has been phenomenal. So thank you. Yeah, so dude, much fun. Course. Yeah. Where can everybody <laughs> check you out? Where you got a website, Instagram, all that stuff. My Instagram is the shortened version of my name, which is at Dev Blaskovich. At one point in my life, I tried to rebrand myself to be Dev instead of Devin, and it just like didn't work because Blood Orange <laughs> came out as a musician, and then he was the only Dev that mattered. Um, <laughs> my website is devinblaskovich.com, and I don't think I have anything else. I think that's that's it. That's per- it. Perfect. That's all you need. Timothy, where are you? Guys, you can head over to Instagram. I'm at Timothy Makeups. I also make film photography-related YouTube videos. Easiest way to find it. Go to the search bar. Type in Timothy.Makeups. That's where I'm at. Chris, where are you? So I am Chris B. Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and I also make film-related YouTube videos on YouTube. Um, we are Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram, and we have a Facebook group you can join and share stuff and talk to each other. We love that. Do it. And that's it. All right, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. First, we want to thank Devin for being on the show. I hope you had a pen or pencil ready and some paper to take notes because he dropped so much, so much knowledge and... We appreciate it so much. Devin, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. You just have so much information inside of you. You've done so many things already with your work. Like We are so proud of you and everything that you're doing. Keep it up. Keep killing it. And guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. We have been doing extra content over there. A little bit of an after show. Also, every Monday... Two days early, you can get the show ahead of time for, you know, even a buck, two bucks, many bucks, as much as you want to contribute to the cause. For all the Patreons already that help support the show, we can't thank you guys enough. We appreciate each and every single one of you. So until next week, guys, keep shooting. We'll see you soon. All that fun stuff. And yeah, have a great week and we'll see you next week. Later. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.